Welcome to this week's edition of the Red-Headed Preacher Podcast. This is for Sunday, October 17th, the 21st Sunday after Pentecost. And we've got a sermon today that is called, well, it starts with what we know as the Tetragrammaton, which is the capital letters Y-H-W-H, which is the respectful way uh, for, for Protestants and Catholics anyway to refer to Yahweh, the name of the covenant Lord of Israel. And, um, you know, Jewish, faithful Jewish people will not say the name. Uh, but that, so it's, the title is, the sermon title is Yahweh, with those four initials, finally. The scriptures are from the book of Job, chapter 38, and from the gospel according to Mark, the lector, uh, one of our finest lectors is Mandy Stegmuller. She uh, begin with a word of prayer, please. Merciful God, you see us through the great times in our lives. You give us the energy to get there and the vision. And then there are the plateaus, which are often most of life. And then the downsides, the valleys, the, the earthquakes, the fires that resist being put out for a time and and you're with us in all of these places be with us also now as we hear these words and the message and may you speak to us enabling us to speak to others words of hope and understanding in the name of Christ amen and now here's Mandy The first of our readings is from the book of Job, chapter 38, verses 1 through 7, and then verses 34 through 41. Throughout the book, after the first two chapters, the suffering righteous man Job has debated three old friends, then another interloper, all the while commenting about God, wondering why he is suffering so, and what this says about God. At last, the Lord blesses Job with a reply, and here's where our passage starts. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up your loins like a man. I will question you and you shall declare to me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? And who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds so that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightning so that they may go and save you? Here we are. Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Who has the wisdom to number the clouds? Or who can tilt the water skins of the heavens when the dust runs into a mass and the clouds cling together? Can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in their covert? Who provides for the raven its prey when its young ones cry to God and wander about for lack of food? This ends the reading from Job. Our second and final reading is from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 10, verses 35 through 45. This takes place right after Jesus 
has predicted his arrest, trial, suffering, death, and rising again for the third time. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, We are able. Then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become a great among become great among you must be your servant and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave for all for the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many here is the reading of the gospel lesson and the scriptures for this morning's service thanks be to god for this the word of god for the people of god Our prayer of confession this morning was about how we often pray or communicate with God. I noticed that in both of our readings today, too, we have Job and the sons of Zebedee making requests of God or Jesus, although not in prayer form. And Job's requests are not in today's reading, but have been sprinkled throughout the book named after him. To paraphrase, why is this horrible nightmare of loss death and unrelenting skin illness happening to me have i not lived righteously before thee the two, the two disciples want jesus to grant them whatever they ask which we learn is designated high standing in the coming realm of god and the messianic banquet job just wants god to show up i know some of us may relate to that too God, where are you? It's true, Job feared that God Almighty had abandoned him. In chapter 23, verses 3, 8, and 9, Job cried out that, Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his dwelling. If I go forward, he is not there, nor backward, I cannot perceive him. On the left, he hides, and on the right, I cannot behold him, I cannot see him. Now, I've never suffered like Job suffered. What this character went through is prodigious. I have, though, experienced what I felt as the absence of God, even what I thought to be the mockery of God. Thankfully, that was brief. I have been with people whose faith is on the brink or was on the brink because they prayed and prayed and things only seemed to get worse. They would have welcomed an affirmation of the presence of God, that God was listening and had not hidden the divine self away. In his well-known book, 
a grief observed. C.S. Lewis shares his anger at a silent God in the mournful early aftermath of the death of his wife, Joy. One of the huge things about our Job passage is that God did speak at last. God showed up. God makes God's self known, and as is the case elsewhere in the Bible, God shows up in a storm. Remember the clouds and thunder and even fire when the people with Moses drew near to Mount Sinai in Exodus. Remember how Elijah, in his flight away from danger and responsibility, hid in a cave and had been talking with God, and then he heard and saw the fire and the, this cloud and the earthquake. And after the storm, he heard sound of sheer silence and then he came out again it was after the storm but there was God the prophet Nahum says that God's way <clears throat> quote is in the whirlwind and the storm in Job man you read for us then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind the Lord answered Job if we'd been spending more time in this book, you and I would have noticed that after chapter 2, the Lord is not called that anymore, but is referred to as God and God Almighty. In Hebrew, El Shaddai. El Shaddai, El Shaddai, El Elyonah Adonai. Age to age, you're still the same. Through the power of the name. One of the things Mandy and I have in common is we both like the music of Amy Grant, who recorded that song. Tender expressions of God's love and power are listed there. But in Job, this name for God, and just referring to God as God, leaves us with perhaps a feeling of distance. David Atkinson wrote in his commentary on Job, God had been given his personal covenant name, Yahweh, in the prologue to the book of Job. There we were introduced to Job and were invited to reflect on God's personal relationship with him. Throughout chapters 3 through 37, God is called El Shaddai, God Almighty. In the book of Job, this has become a way of speaking of God as detached and distant. Atkinson grants that in Genesis, El Shaddai is not distant or disconnected at all. However, with those three friends of Job who showed up, he said, Shaddai has become not a God of personal grace and security, but of distance, detachment, and impersonal almighty power. They had got used to using the name of God, which originally spoke of grace in a way that denied grace, end quote. Actually, he then opined how barren theology can become when it loses touch with the gracious heart of God. The personal closeness of the covenant Lord, Yahweh, has given way to the distance of God's majesty and might. Job wanted to see God, to know that God was present, 
And God, excuse me here, Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, the Tetragrammaton, which is the Hebrew way in writing of expressing the Lord, when it said it's Adonai, out of respect. Yahweh, the Lord, spoke to him out of the whirlwind. Now, the God whose name Yahweh is associated with his personal presence of care and covenant, steadfast love and faithfulness, this is the God who speaks to Job. Job stands as a representative of and an example for all those of us who try to keep trusting in the dark. For all those of us whose faith is tested by hardship and the apparent absence of God, the great reassurance of Job 38 is that the Lord speaks. The Lord does come and show up. In truth, God has been present all along. Now that presence is made known. This is the first and greatest reassurance for Job. The Lord comes. God makes himself known. That is the most important thing Atkinson said that these chapters have to say. Now, it is true that in the sacred reply, God takes Job on a challenging, sarcastic voyage through the creation that God has wrought, putting Job in his place. I read a devotional this morning from the UCC Daily Devotions where the writer kind of gave it to God a little bit more than I am with the words I said. But that was evidently all right because at last the Lord had come before and revealed God's self to this terrified and hurting man. The relationship was begun again and will take yet another turn next Sunday. All the same, let me share with you a testimony of current day where someone experienced this presence of God, this approach of God, A.N. Talent. She quotes John 6.56 in this devotional book where I get the example. The devotional book is Darkness is as Light. I've mentioned it before. And the quote from John that she begins with is, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in them. She wrote, It was the worst summer of my life. I had rushed 1,000 miles away from home to tend to my father, who lay intubated in ICU after a near-fatal car accident. Every morning, I woke up to check work emails before rushing to the hospital, praying Dad would finally breathe on his own, while also worrying over his bills, hiring lawyers, talking with doctors, and juggling the inevitable family drama all while suffering from first-trimester nausea. I woke up as tired as when I went to bed, with the burning, sterile smell of the hospital following me everywhere I went. It was pure misery. When I finally made it to a church, I only wanted one thing, the Eucharist. I had just started attending an Anglican church, which opened my eyes to the reality of Christ's presence in the bread and wine. It was not a mere symbol or allegory. He is truly there. And when I finally recognized that, I felt myself change. 
with the Eucharist, Christ began to change me. And now, in my utter despair and weakness, there was nothing that could help me but him. No eloquent sermon, no harmonious music, no smiling face. It was all meaningless against my pain. Only the Eucharist could give me the strength to face what I had to face, to walk into that hospital, to nurture my unborn child, to even get out of bed just one more day. I've often struggled, she writes, with the proper way to approach the chalice. Too often we think we must have it all together to take in the body and blood of Christ, but that summer taught me differently. When we are our weakest and worst, the only prayer, or excuse me, proper response is to run to the chalice, run to Christ, end quote. This woman, with a high theology of Christ's presence in the elements, found the Lord speaking to her in her own whirlwind. God was present and spoke to her within her, changed her during her worst summer of stress, caregiving, and fatigue. In her darkness, the Lord, the personal Lord of the new covenant, was there for her and sustained her through that time. Now, some of us may not relate if we do not hold the sacrament in quite the same way she does, but the point remains, God does not go away. In fact, sometimes we draw nearer to the Christ who suffered when we suffer. That Christ was raised in due time, and not just for himself, but for his people throughout time as well. Suffering is also in the gospel lesson today. When John and James told Jesus that they wanted him to give him their request, that they have reserved spots at the immediate right and left of King Jesus in the coming realm, Jesus shut them down when he said, that's not his to grant. And that could be a sermon of, who is it then? He also said, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? Now, acceptance of baptism, acceptance of baptism recognizes or symbolizes the acceptance of God's way. The cup is a metaphor for that which is allotted by God whether blessing, as in Psalm 16 and 116, or judgment, like Isaiah 51 and Lamentations 4. Knowing what we know about the cup of the new covenant in his blood, it is a cup of suffering of which Jesus spoke. Jesus said that even though he cannot promise them those seats, they still will receive that baptism and that cup. According to New Testament scholar Fem Perkins, they are being asked by Jesus if they can accept the kind of suffering that Jesus now faces. They wanted, to, they wanted to secure places of honor in the kingdom yet to come. And Jesus said, you know, that kind of thinking is wrong side up. He is asking if they are able to join him on the path to the cross. And they reply, we are able. Those two disciples, future leaders of the early church, found Jesus' words for them to be true as he told them that they will drink the cup and be baptized with his baptism. 
James was killed in Jerusalem by King Agrippa during the New Testament in Acts chapter 12, while John suffered but survived to write a gospel and in exile, persecution, the revelation several decades later. To say you and I are able to drink that cup or be so baptized is a heavy thing. But we are baptized to follow him if we are baptized. Members of Christ's churches, including leaders, but not just leaders, who, whether they're in leadership positions or not, they undergo hardship and make various sacrifices. Leaders especially may be subject to criticism, some constructive and some clearly not. Leaders are sometimes subject, like others, to having unrealistic or unjustified expectations placed upon them and critiqued afterward if they're not met. Leaders often are called to help navigate whatever ship they're stewards of through waters of transition, into winds of apathy or opposition or an absence of support or prayer. Leaders usually put in more hours than others, including volunteer church leaders, and get tired and scared and frustrated at times. Yet in some dysfunctional places, communities and congregations, not talking about St. Peter's, uh, end up misunderstood, disrespected, and vilified. They can find a friend in Job with doubt and anger when that happens. Followers of Jesus, be they lay leaders in churches or non-leaders in churches, men and women and youth of faithful conscience in business, technology, journalism, education, the arts and beyond can find, you know, their integrity is not always welcome. Nor is their service orientation welcome. Sometimes this hurts deeply. Yet God is present through their suffering as God was for Job, as Christ is in the sacrament for Ms. Talent, and as Jesus said in Matthew, Lo, I am with you even to the close of the age. I love that line. Serving each other, as Jesus talked about being servants to each other, the first being last and a slave of all. Instead of competing to sit at the right hand of power, got to be there. Well, that's how Jesus told his followers to live in community. We all serve in a variety of ways, and leaders more than most, and leaders rotate. It's not always fun. It's not always free of criticism, cost, or aggravation. It is, however, always a privilege to serve Christ in whatever calling or way that we are found. To be on Christ's team for good works of love and justice in the world, suffering is experienced, not all the time, but sometimes. And wondering where God is is not uncommon. At times we may even find ourselves drinking that cup. And there is where we surely find Jesus with us, It may not be a feeling, but there is where we surely find Jesus with us as he drank it first and savingly. So you or I, when we are handed the cup, are privileged to join him 
in suffering. We draw nearer to him in drinking what he drank. There's a solidarity established there that isn't anywhere else. But in our circumstance, we are drinking that. We are closer then to the essence of God, the love that hurts so for the world. And in Jesus, he rose again to be the world's and the church's hope and joy and presence. Amen. This brings to a conclusion this week's edition of the Redheaded Preacher Podcast for October 17th, 2021. If my voice sounds a little different, this is recorded at the end of the day, and so my voice is a little tired. Uh, It's been a busy day after worship. So once again, as always, I thank you for listening. And I ask that God bless your week. In Christ's name. Amen. Hope you tune in next week.